0: Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org/thrive.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Zenju Ertlin-Manuel, is a poet, author, ordained Zen priest, and medicine woman of the drum, who holds a PhD in social science. She came to Zen Buddhism after 15 years in the Nichiren soga Buddhist tradition, and I want to talk to her about that a little bit. But mostly we're going to talk about her forthcoming book, called The Shamanic Bones of Zen, revealing the ancestral spirit and mystical heart of a sacred tradition. A review of the book appears in the January, February issue of spirituality and health magazine. Zenju, welcome to spirituality and health podcast.
2: All right, Thank you for having me.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. I was looking into your looking into your past Zenju, <laughs> to see, you know, where you came from. And you know, lots of people that I meet who enter Buddhism, you know, come who come from the West and and become Buddhists, leave behind their religious affiliations. But as I understand from what I've read about you, you seem to bring all your spiritual bones with you to Zen. So tell us a little bit. I mean, this could go for the whole half hour, and we don't want to do that. But tell us a little bit about your religious upbringing and. I'm very curious about your, your time with Nichiren Gakkai because I also spent some time chanting mm-hmm. with them, and, and why you moved on to Zen.
2: So I started out in the Christian church with my parents and the Church of Christ, non-denominational. And, you know, I, I was there. I was very active into my young adulthood, and then I uh, ran into the gateway of African ceremony and tradition with a tribe that had arrived to Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. And I practiced just a little bit with them. You know, it's mostly just doing what they do, do the ceremonies. It's not a lot of talking or training necessarily. And after that, the gateway opened for Buddhism and it started out with the Soka Gakkai. So I had no interest in Buddhism and no interest in buddha either (laughs) when i entered nishran and i was pulled in by some friends and they were you know wanting to hang out and to go to dinner but i had to go to a meeting with them first so that's how i got involved (laughs) because i wanted to go out to eat (laughs) i got involved with nishran and in reading those books there i was amazed uh, when I actually started reading the Buddhist teachings. And I, I, I always say that that's where I found God in Buddhist teachings. That's all what I've been wanting to hear the whole time I was in church. And I didn't hear that kind of talk and teachings about loving kindness, about peace, about tranquility. I heard more about hell and brimstone. And so that, that didn't work for me being a very, very extremely sensitive person. <laughs> it yeah. was hard to be a Christian that kind I of I mean that probably That's a particular,
1: yeah, particular kind of Christianity. There's all kinds. So. Right. But well, I, I mean, Jesus spent so much of his time in the gospels talking about fire and brimstone. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they sort of they sort of miss the point when they go in that direction. So I, I'm my guess is that Soga Gakkai is not. A form of Buddhism that most people are familiar with. So, can you give us just a brief introduction? And uh...
2: it's it was a practice brought to from Japan to this country, United States, in in right after World War II. It was brought here by widows and widowers, people who had been killed in World War II with the bomb, and they came with this already set philosophical. Lay community called Sokagakai and they used it. The, it was connected with priests, and that's where they get the the, the scroll and the chanting uh, Nam Myoho Renge But they also chant the Lotus Sutra, which is the basis for that practice. And Anishrin himself was a Zen priest, and then moved into his own teachings and considered himself a latter day Buddha. And so. The reason why Soka Gakkai has always been welcoming and to everyone is that the, the Nishran tradition wanted everyone to experience Buddhism, not just priests, even though the priests were still attached. And then later on, the priests pulled away from the Soka Gakkai, pulled away from the lay organization. But there's, there's where I learned concentration and shamatha. They mm-hmm. wouldn't call it that, but that's exactly what's happening. Yeah.
1: So you you gave us the 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 chant the basic chant that's done over and mm-hmm. over again mm-hmm. Can you give, yes. can you well actually can you give let us let us hear how it actually sounds and then translate yeah. it for us?
2: So it's um
3: Namyoho Namyoho
2: Namyoho kyo Namu meaning dedicated to Myoho the mystic sound of truth and in that whole mantra, the Nishran felt was all the teachings in that one mantra.
1: And that that's all you needed
2: to do to bring the uh, teach Buddhist
1: teachings into your life. See, I think most people think when they think Buddhism, they think meditation. Mm-hmm. And it, well, that's not wrong. That's not, I shouldn't have put it that way. When they think Buddhism, they think sitting meditation, silent right. meditation. Right. But in in uh, Soga Gakkai, it's this this mantra chanting in pure land shin buddhism it's Namu amida butsu you know Uh calling on the Uh the compassion of the buddha of infinite light i mean there are such there are diverse ways to 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 practice uh buddhism and i want to ask you about this in just a little bit but chanting is in my mind well let's take it up now and we can We'll come back to another aspect of it later. Chanting, in my mind, is the most accessible practice for people. Not everyone can sit zazen. Not everyone can, mm-hmm. even if you sit in a chair. What, what's your sense about the universality of, pra- of uh, chanting yeah, practice?
2: I, I agree with you. Meditation was left to those who wanted to be a monk or nun, to live in the monastery, to leave the world, and live in that world and, of meditation, and to come awake through that kind of daily practice. And chanting was mostly shared with the lay lay people, lay practitioners. So it is more accessible. I think that's what makes Nichiren so successful. But something happened in the transmission of Buddhism. Folks saw those Zen masters and said, I want to be like them. And and pull the meditation and pull meditation as a practice, but if you go, which I have been to different countries, Asian countries, and you go to Buddhist communities, they are not doing meditation, they are chanting and singing and those kinds of things, it's just. If you go, to, you know, to, if I sat in a crowd of nuns, most of the ones who would be sitting would be just the Zen people, <laughs> you know. So, so it's not really widely spread as we might think. It's very, very rare. I think it's not for everyone. It doesn't, one, because there's no measurable outcome, you know, that you can count on. I'm going to go in here for 20 years and come out this way. It just doesn't happen like that. Well, neither is chanting, but chanting is like drumming. You can feel the rhythm. We're used to rhythm of the earth, rhythm of our hearts, rhythm that that we know. And so that that's what makes to me chanting kind of more accessible practice for people. And meditation is for those to me that want to have a take a deep, deep road, a deep path into places that we can't see with our eyes or, or hear with our ears (laughs) to go into that place and, and make it our path, you know, actually just living in that kind of darkness and discovery. um, Mm -hmm. Whereas chanting is not that.
1: But chanting can take you very, Mm -hmm. I mean, chanting can can open you up to. to That's right. I mean, I'm trying to avoid the word enlightenment, but. Yeah. Well, I,
2: I talk about it in the book that I chanted in Nishan for seven years. And yeah. it's, it's where the oracle, an oracle came in a dream to me.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you about that. So go ahead. Tell us about the dream.
2: So I, we got 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, no, and,
1: we have, we have uh, time. We, we, this, okay. This, this,
2: so the dream, yeah. you know, it's, it, I was suffering at, at the time and had made a prayer and went to bed that night. And then I woke up with all of this, like at four in the morning with this, all these words in my, um, Head from the dream and someone was speaking in the dream. And so I, I began at four o'clock, went to my desk and started writing down what those messages were. I didn't know what it was about and they were going on and on and on. I just kind of cut it off cause I wanted to go back to bed. And so the next morning I went back to it and I looked at it and then I saw that it also had some kind of, you know, artwork in, in, in which is very ancient, like in, in Egyptian traditions uh, or other traditions where they did a lot of worshiping around stones and caves, and there's always some drawing of the practice. So that that felt like, uh, to me, the oracle came straight out of, you know, Nisra, straight out of my chanting. And I have been chanting very intensely for seven years. So it, it was surprising that that's what came out. I don't think if I sat down and said, this is what I want, it would have come, but I definitely... It was waking up to myself. I had already been having dreams. I just didn't know. I didn't pay attention to them until the oracle came through.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through twenty-six. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. You
1: know, when, when you're linking chanting to dream and chanting mm-hmm. to the, the drum, uh-huh. And you are a medicine woman of the drum. That seems to be where the shamanic comes in. Is that fair? It can be for some, for some people. So, how, how do you understand the notion of, of yeah. shamanic?
2: For me, shamanic is just that experience of awakening. It has many, many definitions, and and it's a word that's been borrowed. And I do explain that right away in the beginning of my the shamanic bones of Zen, which is already out. It came out February eighth, and so to the public. People should hopefully have it in their hands, those who pre-ordered. And so I think that the drum and chanting, like I said, provide rhythm. So you're getting in touch with the earth. Anything to me, Shaman, anything in awakening is being in touch with the earth in which we live, which is to be in touch with ourselves because we ourselves are the earth of the earth. And so it's in, it. for me, I think it was pretty simple. I didn't just decide I'm going to do Buddhism. I'm going to drum myself into awakening. I'm going to do all these things. I'm not the type of person to go out and search for modalities and things. You know, I, I actually shy away from them. So I'm always surprised about how many places I've been <laughs> because <laughs> I tend to shy away from where the crowd goes. So anyway, that all I can say for me is that the rhythm. Uh, just puts me in touch with myself. Like I said, we have that in our own uh, bodies. Our hearts are are beating, and uh, let me
1: let me share a, a quick story mm-hmm. um, from my own experience and see if, if what you think of this. Uh, I was once uh, at a, a uh, EU conference, European Union conference, in um, Prague. Pretty sure it was in. It was in Prague. And at one point during the conference, I guess there was it wasn't going the way the, the leader wanted it to go. So they asked me if I would do some exercise with the group and everyone spoke different languages. It was, you know, we had translators, but I don't know what they expected I was supposed to do. They just sort of dropped it on me. Well, what I did do was I invited everyone to sort of congregate in the center of the room, sort of a clump. And then just apropos to what you were saying, I had everyone tap their, their heart, like find their heartbeat and and make a drum out of their chest and tap their heart rhythm. And then it became very clear that there was an alignment of of rhythm tapping If people sort of started, the hearts were all beating together. And then we did a chant. Now, in this case, we did the uh, Om Namah Shivaya from the um, Hindu uh, tradition and they weren't spiritual people necessarily. They certainly weren't Hindus. There was only one other Hindu there, maybe two. But anyway, the group started chanting Om Namah Shivaya. And we did that for just a little bit. And it changed the consciousness of the group. Mm-hmm. It brought people into alignment. When you do chanting um, with a community, do you have the same, does it have the same effect? Is it? Is it really- yeah,
2: of course. Yeah, it's singing. And the alignment is in the sense that we're now... Not uh, in our heads, in our story, in ourselves. We're in the sound. So if we're doing OM together, we're in the OM of the sound. And 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 these are all ancient mantras too, very old. And so they had purpose, and they were designed with purpose. They were designed to to bring to bring harmony, to bring compassion. You could be chanting next to your enemy. And you might possibly fall in love with that person,
0: you know. Like yeah, I think not... I love
2: that person, you know. I don't. I don't dislike them anymore. While we're chanting, as soon as you stop chanting, you go, "Oh yeah, I remember why I didn't like that person,"
1: you know. No, no, that's very great. Uh, that, that's a tremendous observation for people to hear because, yeah. it, first of all, it's true and uh-huh. it's testable. Yeah, it's testable. In in the book, I expected just. For for no real real good reason. But I guess expected when you were going to give an example of chanting, it would have been the Heart Sutra, which in the 10 years that I was in the Zen world, we chanted the Heart Sutra every day. Mm -hmm. You instead share with us the chant of great compassionate mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I was, well, I wasn't familiar with this chant. And I'm interested in a couple of things around this. One is, if you would just chant a bit, I mean, it's a long chant. Yeah. So yeah. if you could just chant a line or so, just so people get a sense of, of what it sounds like. And then I'm going to ask you about the, the, the text itself.
2: Okay. So that folk know this is, there is an audio of the book and the chants in the book, in that audio on the audio book. Ah, uh, namu karatano
3: toraya ya namoni ya, namo ya burokishi shifuraya fujisato boya mokosato boya moko ni ya an sahara ha esu ton tonsha namu toimo ria burokishi Shifura Rinto tobo nam no rakinchi kiri moko ho ra sabo oto
1: joshu. okay so all right so this this i mean we this is in japanese
2: yeah, it's in you know anything that's Japanese. It's like a medieval Japanese, right? It's ancient, so even a Japanese person today could just jump up and translate that.
1: Oh, okay. So give us yeah. a sense. I'm not, not going to ask yeah. you to translate it, but yeah. what what is the message of the chant of Great Compassion?
2: So there is no translation.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. There you so go.
2: That's that's why I chose it because it's totally about the sound. And uh, while you're while you're chanting, in that's why it's always good to try to chant it in the language that. It's been written in it, and the Heart Sutras. In you can get it in English, and you know, and in Japanese, and other, you know, Korean, all kinds of languages. Everyone
1: ch- chants the Heart Sutra, but I the mantra that, at the end know. is always in Sanskrit: "Gate, Gate, Paragate." Right? right. The, yeah, that's right. For the same but ch- yeah, yeah. the same reason.
2: I chose the Dharani because it is no meaning, and it's just meant. It's like meant to move you in a way that words could not. So it has the most to me shamanic depth to it that's why i, ch- I chose uh that chant Dharanis are very magical chants that are created they're like spells so they create a spell as you're chanting you know, so even deeper than if you were to do like say the heart sutra has some of that but i think i picked the Dharani. and there's a lot of duranis and they don't have a lot of meaning other than the sound themselves are to uh, transport you into that place that meditation could do or dancing or drumming or any of those things.
1: Okay, so that, that is a very helpful explanation of the shamanic bones that you're talking about when, in, a, in, in a book titled The Shamanic Bones of Zen. I mean, that is very helpful. And when you're doing it, and we're going to close out the show so people can hear this again. And that was a small part of this of this chant. My sense is that... If I could do it with you, that there would be a resonance because I'm chanting, you know, with you. But even not, even listening, there is a oh, I don't know, some kind of some kind of, of resonance that arises from the sound of your voice using these just these sounds mm-hmm. that is already all embracing. People would, would must feel a part of this, um, especially. If there's no translation I have to worry about and no meaning I have to derive, I'm just being present in with. And and I would imagine ultimately as the sound itself. Uh-huh.
2: And I think, you know, some people have tried to translate the ronis and you'll see it if they do. It doesn't. It still doesn't make it's like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, you know, like that. It <laughs> okay. still doesn't. Yeah, opinion. it's not going to give you that that. You know, text or you know, literature that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, you know, in the I don't know if you remember this from your Christian days, but there, there's a text in First Kings where in the Hebrew they talk about Kol daka, which means the. Sometimes it's translated as the what's it called the something voice of silence, the this, this huh. still voice of silence or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's it's the voice of maybe fragile silence. There's no great translation. Uh But um, there's a practice where you're trying to listen to whatever that sound of silence is. In Hinduism, they have something called Nada Yoga. It's also actually in Buddhism, Uh uh, where you're listening to the primal sound, listening for the primal sound of the universe. Some people make the sound using the the, the sound of om, but uh-huh. oftentimes, and, and the way I was taught, it's simply listening to the sound, which is always the universe is chanting this, if you want, mm-hmm. you know, from the beginning, the universe is chanting, almost like John 1, 1 in the beginning was the word, and the word was om, you know, something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But there yeah. there is this primordial and primal sound that permeates the universe that you, we can all tap into. And listening to you do this chanting uh seems to be tapping into that same that same energy what what's the response do you think i mean are you doing this with your when you're when you're leading a group and the group is chanting uh, the chant of great compassionate mind Mm -hmm. see a transformation in people or you just your eyes are closed and you're not
2: You're, well, you're not looking at others. You're, you're, you are within. So everything is meditation, offering the incense, walking, bowing, sitting, chanting. It's all zazen. It's all breathing. It's, it's, there's no break. In that, although people do break because <laughs> they don't know sometimes, you know, that they're to hold that meditative state that's developed in Zazen. And then you get up and you walk with it, you chant with it, you offer incense with it, our flowers with it, our food, whatever's happening, whatever's happening in the ceremony. And so I think it takes, it could take someone one minute <laughs> to their heart to just burst open. And for some people, it may take 10 years. Because it depends on where the mind is and where the mind will go and what you will allow to um, come into your, your life. I think I walked in after 15 years of Nichiren, you know, and then walking into a Zen center, I was already prepped for the opening. So there was, yeah, it was going to happen right away. And it did. It happened right away. And well, so,
1: yeah. Let, let me let me list. We're going to have to close this out. But let me suggest to listeners: if you're interested in this book, and you should be, let me suggest—absolutely—go go, get a copy of the Shamanic Bones of Zen. But is there a place, or, or should they also get the audio book so they can hear you do the chant? Or is the chant?
2: Yeah, I think if they want to, I was very surprised they did an audio book. It's great because it does give you a chance to. You know, listen to me. Chant the chants are also available at many Zen centers and San Francisco Zen Center, and in, in their teaching section on the website, there are many chants on there as well.
1: Okay, that's very helpful. Yeah. So we're going to have you uh, chant the, the same text again, the same little bit that we had time for, and and as we do that, people will hear that. I guess I just want to remind people that our guest today, Sangju Earthland Manuel is the author of the Shamanic Bones of Zen, revealing the ancestral spirit and mystical heart of a sacred tradition. And you can read a review of the book in the January, February issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about her work on her website, Zenju.org. Zenju, thank you so much for talking with us on the Spirituality and Health podcast.
3: Thank you. NAMU KARUTAN NO TORAYAYA NAMU ONIYA PURU KISHI MOKO SATOBO YA MOKO GARUNIGA YA ENSA Tan no tan sha namu shiki ri toi mo ori ya no ra Kenji kiri moko mo horo shami sabo Oto joshu bin
1: You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.